Welcome back to Red Blooded Outdoors with Cornbread and Cooney. What in the world has Cooney been doing? Cooney been going to school, working. That's the usual, you know. Yeah. That's about it. About all I do. Getting ready for squirrel season. Yeah. Got this, that coming up. This Sunday. Yep. We got a, a buddy of ours here with us, Mr. Thomas Veal, a.k.a. Cowboy Tom. He was, we met Tom through Truth in Nature, um, doing some, doing some work for some fatherless homeboys. Uh, so I guess we met Tom probably four years ago. Yeah, it's been about four years ago. Five years ago. And I didn't know it. I was talking to some, uh, people that's been on the podcast and people talking, uh, you know, who, who we could have as guests and. Jeff Davis said, well, what about Cowboy Tom? And I said, yeah, Cowboy Tom. He said, man, he's wrote a book and everything. I said, a book? (laughs) He he said, yeah. So one of us here has read the whole book, and one of us has read half the book. I'm a little little more than half. Oh, so you're the one that read half the book. Yeah. Uh, Smoke in your eyes. Tales from a friendly campfire. I enjoyed the book. Did you? Palm tree briar in your nose. Oh, I, I the, can just imagine that. That's that rough. The boy. devil goat. Yeah. Falling in the river. The uh, the legs on the back of the uh, door. Oh, good scary. Lord. Man, yeah. Uh, what was it? Hitting the jaguar with the carriage. Yeah. I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the book. We'll get into the book some more. Cooney. We've had this book forever. Why in the world have you not read the I just, book? I ain't got to it. I just been doing other <laughs> stuff, you know. This is what Cooney does. Cooney, you see all these books here, and then he's got them by his, on his nightstand, and then they're over there at the couch. He'll pick a book up, and he'll read about a quarter of the way through it, and then he picks another one up, and he reads a quarter of the way through it, and then another, and then another. Have you ever finished a book? I think the only book I have finished is that one over there, that Willie Nelson book that he wrote. I think that's the only one I've finished. Why Why are you like that? I don't know. I, I get burnt out on it. And I just throw it off to the side, order me a new one. Wow. When it comes in, read it until it's time to throw it off to the side. He's, he's constantly got books coming in from Amazon. I'm like, Daddy, I got a new book. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And you'll see a bookmark in it. About like that. That's his bookmark. And they'll be sitting on the table. And there'll be two or three other books on top of it <laughs> with the same same bookmark. Man, we was just talking about this heat. And uh, I ain't complaining. But it seems like every year the heat kicks my tail more and more. Every year. That's right here. We're in dog days right now, son. Wears me out. Right here at the end of the summer, it's just like time to ramp it all the way up. Don't nothing at work break down when it's the springtime or the fall. It either breaks breaks down when it's 9 million degrees or 10 degrees with 40-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah. That's just how it is. Or it's pouring down rain. And we've been working on stuff at work for a month and a half straight. And it's whooping my fat tail, wearing me out. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't that bad on me. I got that half-day schedule, so. Well, I ain't out there in it all day. But. Did you notice what he just said? 
He's got a half-day schedule. Well, it's a little less than half, actually. And I know Tom just walked through this shin-height grass. <laughs> so he's probably wondering why the 17-year-old boy cut the grass with his half-day schedule. Because when I get out of school, I go straight to work. Yeah, and what about when you get home? Working? I go straight to eating and straight to bed. <laughs> I don't find time for it. That's the that's a weekend chore right there. Well, how many weekends has it been since you cut the grass? <laughs> it's still knee That's right. <laughs> he did a garden, Tom. You've seen the snow fence around the garden. Let it, let it. Which I don't know what happened to the squash this year. Do you do a garden? Oh yeah. All right. So our squash. And I know five or six other people I talked to just bloomed, and it didn't produce no squash. Did yours produce squash? I think it was too much rain, what yeah. I think. Did, did, did you just have uh, blooms? <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're about to watch some football up in here, ain't we? <laughs> Sorry, my phone just gave me an alert. That's all right. Uh, did yours just bloom? Well, I didn't really have squash, but I had a, I had a zucchini and uh, corn and all that other stuff. And uh, we got some, but a lot of it we didn't get. Right. And it just it grew up. It shot up, and it was really good. Right. And all of a sudden, it rained real hard, and the sun had come out, and it seemed like it'd grow like six inches. And then right. all of a sudden, it just, like it got drowned. Right. Because, you know, we went through a section there where it rained like every day, and it poured rain. Right. And uh, we got a little bit. We didn't get near like we would normally. Cooney didn't get his, that's Cooney's garden, he didn't get his, so his squash didn't make, and he didn't get his tomato cages up in time. The rain beat them down. I'm talking about beat them to the ground, son. But it actually surprised <clears throat> me how good they did, because I, I stood them back up, yeah. and I've actually got, what, four or five tomatoes now? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he got a good crop of peppers. Yeah. But yeah. when we seen that squash wasn't wasn't going to do nothing it sort of took my interest away from going out there and hoeing it and whatnot so it just grew up man the thing that the thing that i think all that rain really helped though because we had a real good crop this year was watermelon oh did you all that all that rain golly i've never been able to grow a watermelon i did watermelons last year and they got about softball size and that's that's it that's oh really that's as Mm -hmm. big as i've ever been able to get a watermelon yeah we had a good year this year with them because they got all that rain and that's what they need they like they like it wet right man i ain't had a good yellow meated watermelon in a long time have you ever ate one of them coney i don't think i have a yellow meated watermelon i'm not quite sure what a yellow meated watermelon is It, it says it in what i'm saying yellow meated like the meat of the melon is yellow. No, I ain't, I ain't never had. It's usually white. Oh, white. Am I speaking Russian over here? I ain't <laughs> never heard of a yellow meated watermelon before. <laughs> You've had one, ain't you, Tom? Shoot you. Uh, yeah. So, Tom, s- smoke in your eyes. What uh, what in- what inspired you to bring all these stories together? Every one of these stories is true, correct? Yes, sir. What uh. What what inspired you to bring it? Well, uh, I was born and raised in Georgia, and uh, after I got went to college, I went on out west to Cowboy and uh, got out there, and it just seemed like there was always a wreck, a crash, or something, a mishap that happened to me. And uh, at the time, it was one of those things where at the time you think you're going to die if you live through it, but after a while, if you make it, it's pretty funny. Yes, yeah, good story. So I figured I had to write it all down so I wouldn't forget them. 
And so uh, all the mishaps and the crazy stories about the horse wrecks and the hunting and the fishing uh, issues that I had growing up and out there on the west, and the west decided I'd write them down and put them in a book so the family wouldn't forget to tell them when I'm gone. That's right. Speaking of family, tell us a little bit about yourself. You said you was born and raised in Georgia. Born and raised Athens, Georgia. Go dogs. Ooh, ooh. And uh, <laughs> my dad was a, a preacher, and so uh, we moved a lot. Uh, we, uh, like I said, I was born in Tacoma, Georgia, and then we moved to uh, Athens, and I grew up all the way to high school through the first year of high school in uh, Athens, and then we moved up to Pennsylvania, way up in the mountains in western Pennsylvania. And uh, lived up there, 45 miles to the nearest town, and and uh, really cut my cut my hunting, trapping, and fishing teeth up right. there because that's what everybody did. Right. And because uh, you couldn't, there wasn't nowhere to work unless you were worked in the coal mines. And if you weren't 17 or 18, they didn't hire you. So you're any younger than that, you had to trap in the winter to make any money. So right. That's what we did. And then uh, I came back down to Tacoma Falls College, went to school there. And then uh, left there and went out to San Diego, California, and uh, went to actually went to horse training school, and graduated, and then stayed and taught for three years, and then up to Washington State, and that's where I got all the uh, elk and bear hunting, and uh, got my pack and guide certification in Alaska while I was up there. Right. And so that's where some of those stories all come from. Right. And then brought my family back here after a while. Right. Just needed to come back to. Them come back home be around family so the kids could know who their grandparents were and all that kind of right so you was talking about doing that trapping up in pennsylvania and uh i think it's the story is it twice alive oh yeah uh, yes sir a, about you uh I'll, I'll let you tell the story but you caught a possum yeah and that was that one of your first trapping it was okay. it was my first and it was a big deal because all them boys up there had trapped you know their whole life and i was i kind of just moved into the mountain and i was already just enamored with the woods and the mountains and everything and i just wanted to be like everybody else so it was a big deal up there because um you know everybody get their traps and then we'd go and uh boil them and get all the grease and everything out and let them rust a little bit so they'd hold the scent and then uh we all had sections of different creeks that we trapped and uh everybody kind of had a section and i had a section down behind the house called three runs it was a native trout stream and that i had a section that i trapped and i was so excited to get uh you know to catch my first animal and uh what we had to do since we lived so far away from school we were the furthest away from school so we were the first one to catch the bus so we were like on the bus at six thirty. right so you had to go and check all your traps before school and if you caught anything you had to take it and you know bring it back to the house and then get in time to catch a bus and uh my dad i was probably 11 12 years old and dad wouldn't let me have a 22 you know until i got a little older and so especially going out there by myself in the dark with the flashlight right. and the snow and everything else so anyway i go to the go to this first trap and uh you know i shine a shine my flashlight up there and i can see it moving i just got boy i got excited i got my first fur bear you know and i go down there as a dang possum <laughs> and back when i was trapping this is mid 70s a long time ago first the fur business was pretty big. I mean, you right. got pretty good money for any fur. Right. Uh, you know, you get $45 for a prime gray fox, 65 for a prime red, 
thirty to forty dollars for a coon and you know five or six dollars for a possum depending right. on if it's a male or female the males don't have the big pouch so they have more hair so anyway got this big old male possum and got it out of the trap and got it got it uh sleeping pretty good and uh figured it we're good to go and i had a old army backpack that i put all my traps and everything in because anytime you catch it catch something you have to pull the trap bring it back in you know boil it get all the sin off of it and never reset it after school well i put that possum in that knapsack and i come walking up the hill and that's exactly what he was doing <laughs> he was playing possum he come alive in that backpack and i'm telling you what you know i'm i guess i was 12 years old i'm by myself with a flashlight walking through the woods i was coming up the hill and that possum rolled over in that knapsack and son i'm gonna tell you what i skinned them clothes i skinned everything i had on <laughs> i got that thing up at the house and i did everything i could to put him back to sleep right and i put him on the uh, stoop in the garage and i you know the typical the typical day was you go to school and as soon as you get back then you go and you you know skin all the animals that you're going to stretch them and and get ready to flesh them and all that kind of stuff after school so uh, i laid it on the step in the garage and the reason that that story's called twice alive because he come alive on my back going up the hill when i got home from school he wasn't there right and i thought there ain't mama must have moved that possum or something didn't want it in the garage and so i went and asked mom i said mom where's my possum she goes i don't know where that thing is i ain't touching that nasty thing and so i go out there and i'm i can't believe that that possum ain't laying there and all of a sudden i hear something in the corner of the garage rustling around knocking some cans and stuff and that bugger was over there waddling around yeah <laughs> i thought man this thing just this thing just don't want to give up his hide right so we went ahead and took care of him and uh but uh that uh that really woke me up right six in the morning coming up that hill trying to catch a bus and that thing come rolling around in that backpack right you know, that <laughs> kids don't do nothing for school nowadays oh yeah that, 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 I, might, it, I might get up and take a shower before school but that's about it <laughs> yeah I'm, i remember me and my cousins we used to get up and feed the hogs and the chickens and oh yeah probably chop some wood you know a little bit so my mom would have some before we went to school nowadays kids much less something fun like trapping or going right. fishing I've, I've, i feel like that's few and far between Kenny, when's the last time you did anything before school and i'm not talking about eat or shower i'm talking about outside probably never i don't think i ever had <laughs> why not i don't know i ain't never had to i guess you was talking uh tom about you your daddy was a preacher yeah how, how was that growing up i mean how was your faith distilled in you well when i was a kid i didn't i didn't believe jesus because i believe i didn't accept christ because i felt i needed him i accepted christ because dad told me that's what i was going to do yeah and so i accepted christ as a kid right and of course being a, a preacher's kid you know i was in church sunday morning sunday night wednesday night and back in them days i mean dad wasn't a a teacher he was a preacher i mean he brought it right you know so uh you know i was just a typical preacher's kid i got into trouble like everybody else because everybody expected me to be something higher than everybody else and i right. just wasn't i was just a normal kid right but uh my dad 
my dad was just a phenomenal dad. Still is, 89 years old, and still right. just as strong as anything. Big outdoorsman, and uh, taught me how to do just about everything I did from hunting, fishing, horses, all nine yards. And, right. uh, but it was tough. I mean, you know, everybody wanted you to thought that you were supposed to be the preacher's kid and you're supposed to be better than everybody else, and you're just not. Right. I mean, you're just a kid with a dad that has an occupation that you know stands up in front of everybody and tells them about Jesus. And so, right. uh, you know, I I saw the way my daddy lived, and I saw the way that he believed in God, and I saw some miracles. And that's another book I want to write. The next one's called Holy Smoke, right? Because I've seen I've seen God do things answering my dad's prayers that just let me know that there was a God, right? And it forced me actually to go to Bible college, right? And uh, I was there three years, and I just realized that's not what I wanted to do. Where, where was that at? Coal Falls. Tacoma Falls. Okay. Yeah. And when I was a, a first year or second year junior, I believe. Um, I left, and because right. uh, all I want, I didn't want to be. A, I really didn't feel calling to be a preacher or a missionary or a, you know somebody in a church. I just right. wanted a cowboy, right? You know, and so uh, there's a lot in that. But uh, right. I left, and uh, God uh, opened the door for me to go to Southern California, right? And get dropped off, and say, "Okay, right, you're on your own." Yeah, and uh, flourished, did really well out there. Loved what I was doing, and. Uh, that's how it all happened. Which I know you said there was a there's a lot to it, but where was it was when you was a kid? I mean, was you into the cowboys and the Indians? Did or, or did somebody mentor you in your life? Were you around horses? Uh, I mean, how how did that come come that you wanted the cowboy? Well, that's a whole nother story, right? Uh, which uh, really didn't make the book, but it's a really good story, um, and it just really. Um, I truly believe in my heart of hearts. Well, I, I truly believe that everything that the Scripture says is true and it's real. And God has a plan for His people. And I believe that when you give your life to Christ, He takes the gifts and talents that He put in you, that He gave you, to use for His glory. And it doesn't mean it's in a church. It doesn't mean it's on a foreign field. It means where you're at. Right. And so some guys are mechanics. Well, you just be a great mechanic with a great testimony because there's mechanics that need to hear about Christ. And if you're a mechanic and you know Christ, maybe they won't hear unless you're a mechanic around right. the other mechanics that share Christ. Right. And um, when I was a kid, I mean, you know, back in those days, you know, gun smoke, high chaparral, bonanza, uh, you know, Lone Ranger, all them were major TV shows. And, uh, man, we just lived on them. I mean, we watched them all the time. And when I was in Athens, uh, there was a, uh, we lived uh, kind of out in the country, and there was a pasture with a horse, by a, a lone horse in this pasture. And we used to sneak down there and take baling twine and wrap it around its neck and get on it, and it would run around the pasture with us. And I mean, <laughs> no shirt, shorts, no shoes. And we're on this horse and don't know whose it is, and we're just running around. And it would just run around the woods, you know? Right. Well, uh, for some reason, uh, oh, oh, let me back up. I went to a camp in Isla, Georgia called Camp Maranatha, and they had a two-mile pony ride when you went to camp there and listen the only thing that there was to do at that camp was to that pony ride and tetherball 
and you you know that's a that's a pole a ball on a rope tied to a pole and we would stand in line for 30 40 minutes to play to beat the <laughs> tetherball champion i mean we lived for that camp well on friday the wranglers would play the counselors in a game of softball and all us kids would go up there to support our counselors and watch them play this softball game and the wranglers would come with the flag and blow the horn and they'd come riding up on the horses and run around the field and tie their horses up in the trees and then they would play the counselors in a softball game and I mean I'm t eight nine ten years old and I'm telling you what I said to myself and I can remember where I was standing I said one day that's what I want to do I want to be one right. of them wranglers so every time the pony rides went out I was on one and I would hang around and wait for somebody that canceled that didn't want to ride and I'd ride their pony right. a lot of times it was bareback and I didn't care man I just wanted to ride so I think that's where it started. Well, that horse that we used to ride around on by my house with the baling twine on it, one day I saw the old man there that owned the horse. And I went up and started talking to him. And I said, hey, do you mind if I, if I ride your horse? He says, well, i tell you what, young man. He says, you take care of this horse, you feed him, and you come down here and uh, you clean his stall, and you can ride him. And I said, well, that'd be great. Well, at the time, I was playing Little League Baseball. And my best buddy, Jeffrey Pearson, was in a, uh, was hunting rabbits with his cousin and uh, tripped over a log and shot himself with a shotgun and uh, it killed himself mm -hmm. accidentally in a hunting accident. And I was a pallbearer. My Little League team was a pallbearer at his funeral. When I was at that funeral, I saw that old man at the funeral. And Jeffrey and I were best friends. And I found out that that horse was his horse, and I never even knew it. Really? And we were best buddies. And uh, it was his daddy's horse. And so yeah. I ended up getting that horse. And, uh, right, I mean, I rode that horse. All, we rode the hair off that horse. Wow. And so that was kind of my first introduction right. into it. And so, you know, God was just kind of preparing my heart, you know, preparing me, you right. know, giving me that desire. To pursue and uh i went to bible college thinking that's what i was supposed to do and that wasn't it um but then when i went out west and uh went to horse school i really cheer i really uh was really into it and loved it just right. like you like school i mean you know that was my thing and yeah. so i really excelled right so much so that when i graduated they hired me to stay on and teach for three years oh wow so i taught in the college for three years and then went up and ran a horse program up in uh, the northwest Okay. In Washington State. Good deal. Corny, Kenny, have you ever rode a horse? I don't think I've ever rode a horse. Really? No. Nah. Tom, do you do you <laughs> do you believe that there's some people that horses just don't get along with? Well, you know, I hear that all the time. Somebody'll come up to me and they'll say, "Yeah, last time I rode a horse, it bucked me off." Well, it's probably it, it, it's not the horse's fault. Right. It's never the horse's well, fault. Here's here's what I'm getting at. <laughs> I can get in the pasture, and they can be a horse a mile in the pasture. It, the horse could be in the woods. <laughs> and when I get in that pasture, that horse is going to come over and try to bite me, kick me, headbutt me. I don't – we – Cooney wasn't even born yet, and I lived in Silver Creek. And uh, we had some pasture land. And the people across the road wanted to lease it from me to put their horses over there. And I said, yeah, you can lease the, the pasture, but I'm keeping the barn because I kept my dogs in there. I mean, I, 
all my coon dogs i kept kept them in the stalls you know and uh he put this one white horse in there and every time i would go out there to get a dog feed the dogs water the dogs whatever with the dogs that horse would always mess with me try to bite me kick me <laughs> but it's been that way since i was a kid and i remember one one night i come in it's like three o'clock in the morning done run a rough track walked about six miles my fat tail was wore out just wasn't in a good mood i put old banding up in there i go to push on the door of the barn can't get out push on the door of the barn with it we didn't have no cell phones then i ripped that horse had his body pushed against the door of the barn and would not let me out of that barn would not let me out of that barn i finally got my arm out when i got my arm out he bit my thumb i got i pulled my arm back in got it back out there and you know you can't hit nothing hard like this you know with your arm at a 90 degree angle and I popped that some buck on the nose, dude, and he kicked holes all in that barn door. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to get out of it. I, I, I promise you, I was in that barn for an hour. Just mad as far, son. And I told the guy's name was Potts. I said, you got to do something about that white horse. Tarted dealing with it. Absolutely tarted dealing with it. And uh, he come up with a mule. I'm talking about a massive mule. He said, that mule won't let that horse bother you, which I'm not a, a horseman or, you know, anything like that. And I want you to know, when I'd open that gate, that mule would come up and walk with me everywhere I went. And if that horse come over there, that mule was getting busy, son. That mule would wear that horse out. And uh, anytime I deal with a horse, that, one more quick story. We was hunting up in Tennessee. We was hunting up in Tennessee and uh the, on a competition hunt we had to cross a horse pasture when the hunt was over and all the guys them hills up there was whooping my tail i was i was way behind the guys and uh so we we take and get into the pasture and the guys are all the way back at the truck and it's a moonlit night you know the grass is about ankle high and i'm coming through that pasture and there's probably 20 or 30 horses out there big old pasture and i see this one horse start running circles around the whole pasture i mean he's kicking dust up wow wow and all of a sudden he takes a left hand turn and comes straight at me and he gets from about me to cooney so about six or seven foot and he rears up on his hind legs does that <laughs> and starts kicking his front feet and he's hopping around me he starts hopping circles around me and anytime i try to move he'd stand up rear up and kick his feet next thing i know man this dog is laying down with this horse jumping all circles all around me and the guy that was uh heading up the hunt he said big man is that white horse after you and i said yeah he said all right hold on he had to go get the guy that owned the horse to come out there and get that horse away from me gone and that happens to me every time sounds like it's something with you and white horses on <laughs> i mean i don't even mess with them I'm telling you, I don't even mess they with can them. Sense, they can sense your fear, and they know what's coming. Yeah, I guess so. So, you go out west. Mm -hmm. You go to, you said horse school. Yeah. 
what was it, what was that experience like? I mean, they're teaching you the biology of a horse, and I mean all the science and yeah, um, it's pretty interesting because when I when I left uh, college, I was pretty I was pretty uh, depressed. I was really in bad shape right. because I just didn't have any direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew I wanted to do was I wanted to cowboy and it real bad. And um, it's a pretty incredible story. And I understand my dad is a very prominent pastor at the time. And uh, I'd been, you know, I'd been Bibled to death. I'd been at Bible school and all this stuff. And uh, when Scripture says, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called, to, are called according to His purpose. And the reason I went to school is because that's where I met my wife. Right. And uh, but I just, I just, I mean, here I is, here I was, going into the end of my college days, and I just had no desire to graduate, had no desire to stay there, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went back home up to Pennsylvania, and I was just hanging out at the house and uh i actually told my father which was pretty huge for me as i told him i said dad i don't want nothing to do with god or anything right now i just don't because i was just i was just depressed i didn't know what i wanted to do or anything like that and so we lived in a in pennsylvania the house that the church owned they called it the parsonage was four stories i mean you had the basement then you had the main floor and then you had the second floor and then i lived up in the attic and uh, I was really bad going through suicidal thoughts and, you know, no purpose and no, no direction. And uh, after I told my dad that, um, I went upstairs one day and there was a Bible laying on the floor. And for some reason, it, it was just, I just couldn't, I mean, I know now, but I didn't know then. I just flipped it over, flipped it open. And it flipped open to Psalm 139 that says, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. All my members were written when as yet there were none of them. That's not exactly how it goes. But what it was saying was is that God put me together in my mother's womb for a specific purpose and a reason. And when, when I knew, when for some reason, when I flipped that open and I read that, I knew exactly what that meant. I was the way I was for a reason and a purpose. And what I wanted to do was what God wanted to do through me. And so I told my mom, I said, Mom, she goes, Tommy, what are you going to do? You've got to do something. And I said, Mom, all I want to do is cowboy. I just want to, I just want a cowboy. She was looking in the back of one of my Western Horseman magazines and found a two-year vocational college in Sandy, in Bonsall, California, and said, and called them up and got all the information, and spring, or the, uh, the uh, first semester, I was headed to Southern California. Right. You talk about a long trip, man. We drove, and I was with my aunt and uncle, my mother. Right. <laughs> that was brutal. We stopped at every fruit stand, every daggum, every daggum, flea market and yard sale. Oh, God, brutal. <laughs> they dropped me off and they just waved and I and I still wasn't through it yet. I mean, I was still having bad thoughts and all this kind of thing and didn't, I mean, because I didn't know anybody. I'd never even been here before and they just dropped me off and left. And uh, it wasn't long. Right. And, uh, it was a acting horse ranch, had 250 head of horses and we stood six stallions 
and it was a big quarter horse training ranch with a, a vocational college inside the ranch and the owner of the place was a set designer in hollywood so we had a main street with a saloon and a you know and a, a boarding house oh, we wow. slept in covered wagons right. you know just like just like it was back in the 1800s and uh, so i gra- i stayed on and uh graduated and when i graduated they asked me to stay on and teach and so you know what i learned uh what my education was in was in horse science um in uh pre-veterinary medicine uh horseshoeing and uh um animal science right and so we learned all of those things while i was there and then i taught for three years and then i went up uh to washington state and ran a big horse ranch up there good deal so back to my story these horses attacking me (laughs) do you think they something up with me that a horse can say hey i need to mess with this guy well I've heard I've heard other people with those same stories, and I've never ever seen it happen. And I've seen some mean old horses, right? And I've seen some ornery buggers, but I've never seen a horse that actually on unless it's a stallion. Now I have seen some stud horses really right. go after people, you yeah. know, but they were it's just different situations. But never run across a field to try well, to attack somebody. Well, <laughs> well, you know, we've had a bunch of cows, mm-hmm. bunch of cows, and me and Cooney when. When Brian goes out of town or Shorty, we we tend to their cows that's over there now, and I've never had a problem with a cow. Like if I had a problem with a cow, it's because the cow was just not paying attention to me. You know what I'm saying? Maybe every once in a while when you're trying to get them in the head gate or whatever, but it's never trying to attack you. You know what I'm saying? When a cow is standing there, you can tell the cow's like, "Is this joker gonna feed me?" But <laughs> but when I look at a horse. A horse is looking at me like, all right, cuz, do, do, do you think you want to do this? I'm like, do what, horse? And he's looking at, you know. you. I mean, we, it's hard to explain. Well, let me just tell you, a cow a cow can put you in a bunch of misery, oh, too. Oh, yeah, without a they doubt. They slap run over you and turn around and knock, slam you into the side of the trailer and cow kick you and yeah. all kinds of stuff. But out of all the cows we've had, I've never, and I'm, you know, I'm talking a bunch of cows, never, in coon hunting, we all the time in cow pastures, never no problems with cows. But you put a horse in there or anywhere around me, you put a horse somewhere where he can jump a fence and come after me, he's going to do that too. I'm telling you. So, explain to me real quick, like a cattle ranch, I, 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 I get in my head what a cattle ranch is for, producing beef, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of them's uppity, you know, they're producing a special type. And I know horse ranches are the same. Mm -hmm. Is that mainly what a horse ranch is is for, to produce and train horses to go out for other people to buy? Or, uh, you know what I'm saying? Is that mainly what it's for? Yeah, pretty much a horse is a tool, right, for a ranch. And, uh... You know, of course, just like dogs or anything else, bloodlines are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, horses are started, you know, they may be a, two, a two-year-old or coming three-year-old, and they're ready to be, they're, they get started, which means they get put under saddle, and they get taught how to stop, start, and steer, you know, and that kind of thing. And then they can go in any direction. They can go in the show world. They can go in the ranch world, you know, become a, a working ranch horse. Um, they can go into the 
pleasure world you know some thoroughbreds go into the racing world you know so it's just like anything else they get the foundation off the ranch and then the ranch will have a big sale and uh people will come off from all over to buy that bloodline and then they'll breed them for you know whatever variety of uses they want to use for them right so so when you was talking about wanting a cowboy i mean that's what you wanted to do was horse ranches right well yeah when i say cowboy i mean i wanted a cowboy but really what i wanted to do is work horses right that's a difference right i mean a cowboy uses a horse to to do his job right i wanted to train the horses right you know so that the and and just work with them specifically right the uh so i by reading this book i gathered that a lot of these ranches i guess maybe for extra money or just for the community put on gatherings fairs to come out for people to come out like camps right and that's that's where i that's where i mainly did most of my work was right in, was in ranch camps right and uh you know a lot of times uh you know big ranches to keep the revenue going to, to afford the feed and everything else that they got to do they open it up and turn it into a guest ranch so people pay to come out for the experience right you know they can go on wagon rides or they can go on a trail ride or they can have you know horse games and learn to ride and that kind of helps subsidize the ranch you know because you know a horse costs you money every day Mm-hmm. you know and then if you can't get your money out of it you know you're just in a losing enterprise right so whatever you can to do to keep the doors open you do right but my my uh my thing was when i was out in san diego i was actually on a working horse ranch where we trained and showed reining horses and and that kind of thing and then uh when i left there i went up up to washington state on a uh horse ranch that was actually a kid's ranch Mm -hmm. where I had 75 head of horses that I managed year-round and then we had kids that would come to camp for a week and we would feed them house them and then teach them all kind of horsemanship you know from you know vaulting on horses driving the wagons doing rodeos and and uh you know trail riding and arena riding all kinds of stuff like that and my job was just to manage you know the horses year round i lived on the ranch and stayed there and, and managed them year round right there was there was one story from the book i can't remember the the title of that chapter where uh you was pulling a wagon and you hit a car oh let me tell that, you that was during one of those events right <laughs> oh, yeah. i mean there's a danger of people that's that, never been around horses to begin with right well that was brutal and i tell you what i've been in more wagon wrecks i I to a wagon or like you to a, just a horse. Every right. time it seemed like I got up and drove a wagon, it was always with a half green horse that didn't need to be there in the first place and we right. were just pushing him to get him out there and he wasn't ready. And uh he just went crazy and then I would just jerked me out of the wagon. I've been in parades going down the middle of the street and the horse rear up and buck and get the trace between his legs and blow the wagon all to pieces and jerk right. me out of the wagon and people think it's part of the western show right yeah. <laughs> i'm holding on for dear life and they're clapping right <laughs> absolutely yeah that you know did did you stay on or did the the ranch hands the people that worked on the ranch stay on eggshells when all those people would show up to, to be and being around those horses like that because well, well, no, not really, because you know the 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 horse staff that we had were usually summer staff, and they and I had horse staff that I, we called wranglers, 
and I trained, you know, we trained them and, and, and taught them what their job was to do. And they basically taught the kids, you know, how to stop, start, and steer a horse and that kind of thing. And then, uh, but it was really stressful because the ranch would have this big open house where they would just have, you know, a thousand people right. on this place. And it just looked like an anthill. Right. And you've got these horses running around, you know, pulling wagons and people are, you know, doing trail rides and all this kind of thing. And any situation can happen and you just there's just too many people for the property right, right and so any horse that gets out of line can just get into get into a mess and that's what happened on that wagon right that uh so when you when you was out west the the total time you was there you said you met your wife at college at Dakota, yeah um and you was way out west was y'all communicating back and forth i mean how how was that going well that story didn't make the book either but <laughs> but that's a reader's digest story it right. really is i met my wife when i first met my wife at uh college she didn't want to have nothing to do with me because she was pretty um she was pretty prim and proper and i was just there having a ball i mean i was in college having a ball right i mean I played sports and I hunted and I mean I just had a I just had more fun than I had education and uh, so finally I just dogged her so much that I think she finally just give in and uh, we dated for two years right and uh, we were gonna get married we went and had counseling and all that and I just couldn't do it right. I was scared to death because the way I was raised you know you married for life there was no there was no you know uh divorce or anything like that right. because i just uh and so it was it was scary to me because i didn't know man i didn't have a direction in life i didn't know what i want to do and she was a still has a very godly woman and she basically told me at college when that when i was getting ready to leave she says well what are you going to do you need to make up your mind god's already told me so you're either going to obey him or you're not right and I left. Right. And um, we lost contact five years. I went out west, and uh, we really lost contact. Well, the ironic thing about that was when we broke up, I was sitting in my room one night in college, and I was, I was reading the book of James. And the Bible says, Show me your faith by your works, and I'll show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And listen, Cornbread, I'm just telling you. You know, people say that the Lord speak to them and all that. A voice said to my spirit, so much so that my natural instinct was to look around to see who said that. But it wasn't wow. an audible voice. It was just so clear in my mind. And I was asking God, God, what, do I, what am I supposed to do here? What do I need to do? And all he said when I was reading that piece of scripture said, trust me, take a step of faith. And I knew exactly what it meant. And the next day, I went up and tried to show it to my girlfriend at the time. I couldn't get it to make it <laughs> make sense for all the money in the right. world. But for that moment and that time, the Lord spoke to my spirit and said, trust me, take a step of faith. To be honest with you, I disobeyed him. And right. I just couldn't do it. I was scared. I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. I didn't know how I was, I didn't have anywhere to live. I knew I was going to leave school, and so I went 3,000 miles away. Five years later, my brother's getting married, and the town that my brother's fiance is in is in the same town that my 
former girlfriend from five years ago is living in. And her mom and my mom got together at a prayer conference thing with the churches and found out that my wife was looking for a roommate. And so my brother's fiance ended up staying with her, didn't even know that her and I would, had dated. And so I got invited, obviously, back to my brother's wedding and saw her after five years and realized that after, you know, after uh, five years, 3,000 miles away, we got reunited. Wow. And uh, she was teaching school. And uh, she wanted to get out of teaching school and get into life guidance of you know with kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, "Won't you come out to the ranch?" And so she came out to the ranch and worked for that summer. And at the end of that summer, we got engaged. Wow! And got married. So that's awesome. God set her aside for me and waited three thousand miles. And I mean, there were other relationships and things, but they right. just didn't work. Right. And uh, it was uh, it was definitely a miracle when God told me, "Trust me, take a step of faith." He set her aside for me. And brought her 3,000 miles five years later. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Tony, I hate you didn't get to hear all that. You was dealing with the dog. That That's that's awesome. 31 years ago. 31 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. So out west, California, horse ranching. Is that is that the only place you horse ranch was in California? Yeah, in California, San Diego. Okay. Well, it's a little, little tiny tumbleweed town called mm -hmm. Bonsall, California. Uh outside of escondido right and uh it was a like i said you know it was a horse training ranch they uh you you got some stories in this book about dogs and oh, it's, yeah. it's evident that you love dogs man yeah uh the one where you picked up the stray dog yeah and uh took him and it took him a while to warm up to you oh yeah where was that in california yeah too? i was leaving the day i was leaving san diego i went to uh the ranch boss my my boss's house and i was saying goodbye to his family and he lived right off the property and uh i was saying goodbye to him and uh there was this old healer dog that uh was beat up i mean every time you'd say something to him he'd run underneath the truck you know and he'd roll over and wet himself he's scared to death of me and you wouldn't right. touch me no collar no nothing but he had a little daughter and uh, that little dog, that dog loved that girl. And, I mean, he would just get all excited with her. But every time, you know, I'd say something to him or somebody, a man would say something to him, he would just cower and be, be scared to death. Well, they didn't want to get rid of him because they didn't know, you know, they didn't know whose who's he was or anything like that. And out there, there wasn't a lot of houses stacked next together. You didn't know who what, whose dog this was. And so I said, well, you know, he ain't got any, he ain't got any marks on him or no collar or no nothing like that. I'll just take him. So I picked him up and I put my trip off. I put my trip off because I was going from there, driving up to Washington State up the West Coast. So I took him to the vet, and got all his got all his shots and 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 everything, and uh, and uh, put him in the truck. And it was funny because I'd get out at a rest stop and I'd let him out and go to the bathroom and stuff, and I couldn't catch him. I mean, right. he wouldn't go nowhere around me, so I'd have to recruit everybody at the rest stop, and we'd get him put back in the truck. Right. Well, when I got to the farm up in uh, Washington State, it was in the middle of February, and there was nobody there but him and me and about two other people because it was the off-season. And uh, it was just me, the dog, and some horse, and uh, all the horses. And uh, so in Washington State on, that, on the West Coast side, it's, it, it rains and it's foggy six months out of the year. 
I right. mean, it's just it's just it's just rough. I mean, until you get used to it. So uh, we were out on the I went out on the lake and it was just me and the dog and they had a they had canoes you know tied up at the at the dock and I wanted to get out in the canoe and just go row across this lake and it was and I had the dog with me and so I put him in the canoe and uh, we uh, well let me say the dock was a floating dock it was a big T dock you know and the dock the dock would float and the dog wouldn't come out there because it it would start floating and he he got nervous so right. I'd pick him up, so I picked him up and took him out there and put him in that canoe. Well, it's February. It's forty. It's forty degrees. It's mist and rain, and so we go out there, and he don't like that canoe at all. But he ain't gonna jump out because we're you know around water. He didn't right. like water. So we do the canoe. Well, when we come back, I I hooked the chain up on the canoe, and I got out. Well, when he went to get out, he got up on the you know the little bow platform on the front end of that canoe. It wasn't but about six inches wide. And uh, he went to jump to get on the dock, and when he did, he pushed the canoe back, you know, at the end of that chain, and he fell down between the canoes and come up out, come up underneath the dock. It's 46 degrees, man. <laughs> I'm right. standing there. I, I got my, you know, I got my Tony Llamas on, my Wranglers, my hat, the whole nine, and I said, man, I got to get that. He's under the dock. He's, he ain't never going to get out from under that dock. So when yeah. I went, I took my hat off and dove in, and I got him up under there. And uh, I could get my head up underneath that dock, but, you know, he's trying to get out from underneath there, so he's swimming, and I can't get it. And every time I'd come up, I'd hit my head at that dock, and I couldn't get out from underneath there. Well, finally, I got out from underneath there and got him up on the dock. Well, that dog didn't want to have nothing to do with me. Right. I mean, he just he just thought I was just misery, you know. <laughs> but it was just him and me in a little cabin by ourselves. Right. And so... Every, every day I'd get out and I'd go up and feed the horses and stuff like that and he'd always walk behind me and I'd open the gate and he'd never come through the gate he'd always go around walk underneath the fence and go around he wouldn't he wouldn't go in the gate that I opened for him right well this went on for probably I don't know probably a month and one day I'll never forget it we had to up at the big hay barn we got a big double gate and I opened that big double gate, and I told him to come on, and he, he, he kind of sat there, and he thought you could see him thinking. And he thought, and he just kind of scooted through that gate really fast. And I'm telling you, I was like a kid at Christmas. You know, this, this <laughs> my dog finally went through So we went back and forth, and I just loved on him and loved on him and loved on him. Ever since that day, if I got in the feed truck and was making a feed run, he was chasing the truck. Him and me were like this. Right. And the thing that was so cool about that dog is that we would have, you know, three, four hundred people in a rodeo. And I taught him a couple of tricks, and I only had to teach him one time. And I'd shoot him, and I'd get him, and he wouldn't he, could, he wouldn't fall dead. I'd get a kid out of the audience and come down and say, shoot him. He wouldn't fall dead. And I'd say, you got to cock your hammer, man. you got to shoot him like John Wayne shoot him. And he'd shoot him. He wouldn't do nothing. That dog's just up there looking at me. And all of a sudden, I'd say, "No, you got to get him. You got to really, you got to really make that gun loud." And that little kid, that little kid, would go, "Bang!" Pecos would just look up at me and wouldn't move. And I'd say, "I don't know. Let me see. Let me load my gun." And I'd load my gun. I'd go, "Bang!" He'd just roll over and lay up there like this. And that kid would get frustrated. And then I'd do a, I'd do another one where I'd say, "I'd say, now you know, just like any animal, you have to appeal." to their to their ego i said and this is a male dog and i said he's a very popular very famous dog but you've got to make him feel important and i said uh 
tell you what, let me get an audience. Let me get somebody out of the audience. I get somebody in the audience. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Pecos, come here. And they go, come here, Pecos, come here, come here, come here. And I'd be standing right behind them. That dog wouldn't move. That dog wouldn't move. I'd say, okay, say, Pecos, you big stud, come here. And they'd say, Pecos, you big stud. And I'd just move my finger like that, and he'd come running to And they just thought that way. And he performed for thousands of people. Wow. You know, for, for 10 years. Right. He did it every every year. Mm. and uh, But um, he was just a phenomenal, phenomenal dog. But it started really rough. Right. But he had to learn he could trust me. But after that... I'm telling you, I felt bad because I'd get in a feed truck and take off, and he'd run all the way around the ranch following that feed truck. Right. And, uh, you know, of course, I'd let him jump up in the truck, or I could tell him, I could say, Pecos, load him up. And he'd run over there, and when he was younger, he could run up and jump in the back of that that flatbed. But as he right. got older, he couldn't do it anymore. I'd just put him up in the cab. But uh, he was so eager to please me that you didn't have to do a lot of training. Once he, Once he learned he could trust me he bonded to me and he'd do anything i wanted him to right what uh so how, how many total years was you uh working with horses oh wow well probably 20 25 20 total. 25 years what 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 do you think was the most enjoyable of the whole thing well i think packing in the mountains right for elk and bear and that that was that's really where i really probably the most frustrating part with horses but one of the most rewarding right is being able to go back in country way back in the country mm -hmm. and take what you can take back there when you have horses that you can't take on your backpack right you know if you're going to walk in that's all you know you're very limited right but you take horses in now you got to go in you know you can't just go in all at the same time we had to go in you know a couple of weeks early to take all the horse feed and the hay and all that stuff in for the horses but it was really interesting we would go we would go elk hunting and uh we'd go in you know say a month early and build the corrals you know where we were going to camp and put our uh where we we're going to put our wall tent up and all that kind of thing and we would haul the we would pack all the feed in but after about the fourth or fifth day we didn't even put the horses in the crowds. We just put the lead rope over their neck and just let them go on the mountain. Go, let them go on the mountains. Right. And we'd go hunt all day and come back and rattle that feed can. And they'd all come running up out of the bottoms and come really? back to camp. What was that on like national forest yeah. land? Yeah. It was. What, yeah. what state mainly? Was Washington you, state. Washington yeah. state hunting. I went up to Canada. I mean, I went up to um, Alaska mm -hmm. and uh, did a horse clinic. I used to go all over the country certifying riding instructors. You know and. Right. Uh, I went up to Alaska and did a horse clinic, and then I went up there and got certified as a packing guide. Right. And uh, I never really took any people out. We just did it for our own, mm -hmm. you know, for our own packing. And so we packed in the mountains and uh, went elk and bear hunting and stuff like that. Right. You got any good elk hunting stores? I've never been elk hunting. Cooney? That looks like it'd be fun. Though. I know it. Walking so, all them ridges. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very rewarding. Right. But I will tell you this. <laughs> You better love every bit of it, because right. when that animal's down, it's on the picnic's over. Right. Because you look at that animal, and he's he's half as big as your horse, and you go, man, i got to get this thing out of here. And right. they never die on the trail. Right. They always run to the deepest, darkest hole. Right. And it's hard to, I mean, it's it's a, it's a job. Yeah. It's a job. Well, is, is there a certain type of horse that, that, I mean, that you look for to pick to be a packing horse? 
Well, there's the characteristics of a good pack horse. Right. Short-legged, for one, because he's too tall. It's hard to throw the packs up over him. Right. Uh, stocky. He can carry some weight. Right. And very gentle-mannered, very calmly calm-mannered, because you get into situations in the mountains that, you know, you don't get of a horse standing in a pasture. I mean, you know, if, if, you, don't, if you don't do your work at home, you don't want to have to be doing it, you know, in the mountains. Like, if he, if he ain't going to cross a river... Right. You know, you're going to be camping on this side of the river. And all the elk may be on the other side of the river. You need to get across the river. Well, there's no time to break him on the, in the mountains. You need to get him broke before he gets there. And then a lot of a lot of times, you know, a horse isn't used to smelling blood. You know, you get an elk down, and, uh, you know, you want to you wanna get that animal on that on that horse and get him up out of there. Well, he, he can't be afraid to smell blood, you know. The trick there's tricks to get away from that you know you can take Vicks vapor rub and stick it in their nose and they can't smell it all they can smell that Vic. you can load them right. up but a lot sometimes you had to blindfold them you know so right. that you could get the animal on their back and then they can't see it and they you know yeah. there's just all kinds of tricks and trades and then you know so yeah i mean a short horse a short-legged horse a stocky horse and just a well-mannered right. well a good trail horse is a good trail horse right and they're probably the best horses there are. Right. You can have all these fancy show horses and all this kind of stuff, but a good trail horse that won't panic, you know, that won't, um, you know, you hit bees in the yellow jackets and he just got your stuff scattered all over two acres, you know, all over the mountain because mm -hmm. he run off. And and then horses that'll step around trees instead of rub the packs on the trees and wear all your gear out before you get there. And, right. But, you know, a lot of times you'll take a good experienced horse and put maybe put some a younger horse or a less experienced horse behind them and you know they'll just kind of follow the horse in front of them and right. it, it works out that i never thought about a horse's sense of smell oh yeah uh so have you ever thought about that cooney no uh -uh. i'll tell you an interesting story the first time i ever went out on a pack trip one of my best friends still to this day was a big pack guy and i mean he was an elk hunter son i mean he could he killed an elk and that walmart parking lot i mean nobody else on the mountain had killed that's like meat turkey hunting yeah yeah, yeah. No. that's right yeah that's the reputation <laughs> nobody else on the mountain could even see an elk but he'd get it get one every time we went well <clears throat> he was taking me to his elk camp and we got we got to the trailhead late and we got all the horses packed up and everything and we started out about i don't know probably four or five in the afternoon and uh you know an hour into it and it's just black dark and i've never been there Horses have never been there. They're my horses. I mean, you know, they're from the ranch, and I leased them. You know, I'm, I'm taking them on this elk hunt. So we picked the best horses that we thought, you know, would. these are just old kids' camp horses, and we figured it'd be good horses. And uh, so we're black at night. We're, we're packing all night, and I can hear the river. And so I know that we're coming to the river. And so we, we ride and ride and ride and ride and ride and ride and ride, and we finally get all the way down to cross the river and it just breaks daylight and so we get the horses across the river and when i say river that's a whole nother story but when i say river it's a you know it's probably 30 40 feet across but it's only a foot deep so the horses went across no problem same way we got over there well when we were coming back we were coming we were going back the way we came that trail was that wide and it was straight off and them horses didn't mess it. I mean, if they'd have stepped sideways, it'd have been right. over. I mean, it'd have been honey over tea kettle, brother. Right. I mean, it was it was 150 feet straight down. That trail was that wide. And them horses had never been on it. Went down there and black, black as night. Wow. And uh, 
well it was night actually and i mean we went down that thing and i, I mean it 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 just gave me pause <laughs> right. holy mac i right. had no idea but it's wow. pretty amazing wow maybe that's why horses don't like me i smell like something that they don't dig i agree with them maybe i smell like blood well i'll tell you a funny story about that same camp <laughs> We come down the mountain and it took you, I don't know, probably took you about four or five hours to get down there. And you finally get down to the bottom and you got to cross the river. Well, the river ain't no big deal. Like I said, it's only a foot deep and it's just straight up the other side and you got to really get after it and get up there. And then when you get up on top, there's a big meadow where we set up camp. Well, the last elk camp that we went on, we went up there and we were, it was a uh, 10 day elk camp. We were going to be in there for 10 days. Nine days straight, it poured rain. And wow. the fog was so thick you couldn't see from here to the backyard for nine days. Wow! And so, what happens typically in a situation like that when you're in when you're in camp? You know, you you, you hunt anyway because right. you're there to hunt. I mean, you want to get your animal, so you want to hunt. But the problem is, you don't hunt. You don't get up near as early as you normally would, and you don't stay out as long as you would. So, when you go to those camps, you have to be very specific about how much food you take because you can't take. A ton of food and you ain't running to the 7-eleven because there ain't right. you know so you you plan your meals well when you're in camp more than you're out hunting you you more. tend to eat more well you're on a nine-day hunt and you're on, you only got a day and a half left of food right and then in that eighth day you eat all the rest of the food for the ninth day you ain't got nothing to eat well we were down it like I said it had rained for nine days straight and we were down to one bowl of top ramen Wow. And, and then we were packing up and getting out. Right. I was sitting in this wall tent, and it was cold. And my partner and I, we were best friends, still friends to this day. I was sitting. We were boiling that last thing of Top Ramen, and we were going to split it before we headed out. And I had it sitting on my knee. And I was putting the packages in there, you know, to stir it. And he says, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you drop that Top Ramen... Me and you gonna have a problem. Don't worry, it'll be fine. You know, we're all we're already in each other's hair anyway because we've been didn't get to didn't see any elk and it was miserable and we right. had to leave and it was, and of course I turned my head like that and that top ramen fell off in that in that uh, ground. I'm gonna tell you what, son. <laughs> we we were on our bellies picking them noodles out of that uh, dirt. And we were eating it, boy. Wow. Him and I got into a big mess. Well, it's only a foot in that river coming across. But it rained for eight days. Mm. We went back across, and that water was chest deep. And we got to get four horses back across there. Wow. And they ain't wanting to go because they're packed. I mean, they're loaded. Right. So he stripped down and all, all down to his skivvies, and uh, I held a rope. And he swam across, got over there, and tied a rope off on the tree, and then built a big, giant bonfire to get his clothes warm back up, you know, right. so he wouldn't freeze up. I mean, it's spitting snow and everything. We tied the rope off, and then we tied the leader ropes to the horses on the rope so they wouldn't wash down the river and got them got them across. Right. And uh, it was hairy, boy. It was <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> it was rough, man. I was I was worried. Right. But he got them across. I mean, we we got all the horses across and got the fire, got his clothes warmed up, and got them dried out. And but that's the kind of stuff that you right. know. 
Yeah. You know, pack, uh, old pack guide up there, before you ever went out on a pack trip, you had to go get a physical and go to the doctor and make sure that all your teeth were good. Right. Because you get a bad tooth in the mountains, ain't nobody coming out for you. Oh, believe that. You right. know, you better yeah. have that fixed. Yeah. What, uh, when y'all would take hunters out there, y'all would y'all tell them the same thing? Well, we just went ourselves. Okay. Like All I said, right. I got I got licensed to take hunters. Right. But I just never did because never did. I just went. We just went for ourselves. Right. Because we had our horses and the packs and all that right. stuff. Cody, you ever thought about doing anything like that? It'd be fun to do. I would yeah. do it for sure. But I ain't never rode a horse, so oh, okay, it'd be rough. So so <laughs> here's your time. Tom listens to the podcast, so he knows Cody don't really talk. So Cody says, "I ain't never rode a horse." You've got a horseman right here. Tom, what would be the best idea for me to be able to ride a horse? What do I need to know? Asked Tom. Tom, what would be the best way? (laughs) What would be the best way for me to learn how to ride a horse? Well, to start, I'd probably save a little bit of money, coins, Coins. and go to the carnival and put that dime in there and get on that one that goes like this and just tr- practice keeping your balance in the middle. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. He, he got you on that, Cody. No, it's just like anything else. I mean, you can't drive a car unless you get in the car and drive it. Yeah. You know, you just got to get on a horse you ain't got to worry about that's going to, you know, that you can stop, start, and steer, and he's just going to go where you tell him to. But there's a few things that you could learn, you know, on how to get the horse to do what you want him to do. And uh, if he's trained that way, it's not. It's not bad. So, so if you're looking, if you're looking at like what Tom was saying, you was looking to go do one of those big hunts, eight, nine, ten days out mm-hmm. in the woods, and Cooney ain't never rode a horse. You know, I mean, I'm sure they got horses that are. Oh yeah. Used to people like that, but I'm, I myself, like going down that hill you was talking about, or crossing. Number one, I can't swim. If I cross a river, it's going to be a foot deep, period. <laughs> much, much less if I'm on a horse. You might be there a while. <laughs> but, I mean, what you know, what what would Cooney really need to know if he's planning on getting out there and, like, really riding a horse? Say he booked him an elk trip to go out, or is this something he may not even need to worry about? Well, any, any guide service is designed to take guys that's never rode horses out into the woods you know because if they just did it for people that knew how to ride horses they'd go broke you know right. so yeah they're used to having clients that that uh, don't know how to ride um and typically they'll put you on a horse in the middle of the pack that you know all you got to be able to do is just get up on there sit and hold on the saddle horn and the, the mule or the horse will take to do everything you need it to do i mean he's just going to follow the tail in front of him so there ain't going to be a whole lot you have to do um you know as long as you just keep your Keep your balance in the middle and stay on the horse. He ain't going to do nothing go anywhere because they're going to, they, you know, the liability is so great in a situation like that. They're going to put you on a horse. It's just what we call a babysitter. He's just going to tolerate your lack of understanding and just go and follow the tail in front of him and get you to camp. Sort of like I've been your whole life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, I mean, sometimes, like, like uh, sometimes they'll just have you at the ranch and they'll just do a, couple of horse lessons with you and give you an orientation you know on how to ride and let you get on there and learn how to turn him you know and how to use your legs and your body to communicate to the horse and then you know then they'll put you on the horse and go to the mountain on the hunt kind of thing out out west uh 
the hunting compared to the fishing, which would you rather do? Oh, I'd much rather hunt. Yeah. You, I, I mean, you've done it. No, no, I love and I love the salmon and steelhead fish. Right. I mean, we did a lot of that too. Right. That's fun. Right. Don't get me wrong, but there's just, I mean, that's why I do Pioneer Living Scout. I just, for me personally, just the mountains and the woods, man. I tell you, that's just my happy place. Right. Right. Even to this day, I mean, I go deer camp. I got, I said, I have a deer camp now, and I still set up a wood tent and a wood and a wood stove and my lantern, so I can go to bed at night hearing that lantern going. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just. <laughs> right. That's just me. It's Absolutely. Sm- smelling the wood and. You know, sitting in that wall tent is just—it's just what I've always, yeah. always done, and I do it to this day. And to hunt a farm in Carrollton, right? <laughs> you know? right. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, believe that. What What did you hunt when you went up in Alaska? Well, I didn't hunt. I okay. was up there to do a horse clinic. Okay. And uh, so I did a uh, one-week uh, clinic on teaching, uh, certifying other people to ride, okay. uh, and then. Uh, they took me on a packing trip and then okay. we went in for a week and then they they gave you assignments like they would drop in all of the, they'd come in on the float plane and they'd drop off all the gear and then they would send you out with a partner to go out there and pack up all the gear and bring it back to camp and then they would grade you on your ability to tie your manny tarps and tie your tarps on the horse and get it back to camp and right. all, all the different horsemanship how to plan a meal you know for if you got five people and you're going to plan your meal and all this um there's a pretty funny story about that we were up there and uh the old guy that that was up there a good friend of mine who was a packing guide and uh we come down and i don't know if you've ever been to alaska but in alaska they have these uh river drainages they're they're a mile wide and the and the water in it's only about four feet wide right i mean it's just and it's just it's just gravel bars you know and they're a mile wide well we we'd gone up and we were on a trail ride doing our training and we come down and there was these caribou and these caribou this caribou was down in the river or down in the you know that big that big wide open drainage and uh i had a rope with me and i looked over at the guide and i said uh hey can i rope that caribou and he said uh well we're in a clinic i mean i can't i can't I go, come on, man. I mean, lighten up. Let's, let me do it. Let me do it. He says, all right, go get him. So I was riding this little three-year-old colt, and I got that horse going, and I was following that caribou. And that caribou never broke a trot. Now, I understand when a caribou runs, he don't run like a horse. You know, he just does this. Right. And he's going across that river bottom. I'm that little horse, and I'm, you know, I'm loping. I'm running pretty good. We're loping across through there. And uh, we're just kind of, I mean, I'm just trying to get all I can out of this little horse, and I'm trying to catch up that caribou. That caribou's just doing this. Well, <laughs> all of a sudden, the switch came on on that horse, and he figured out what the game was. And he saw that caribou, and I'm telling you, he hit the afterburners. He put his ears back and just started digging for that caribou. Caribou just doing <laughs> So we got probably way too far for me to catch it, but close enough for me to have fun and throw a rope i mean you know he was 20 feet out and i had a 15 foot rope so (laughs) i'm building i'm building my loop i'm trying to get to him i'm trying to get to him and so the caribou so we chased him probably i don't know all told it was probably 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 quarter of a mile right that caribou got up on the side of the mountain and trotted all the way back around the mountain never even stopped my horse was down there just (gasps) 
Wow. <laughs> that caribou never even stopped. Right. But we got down in that bottom down there, and there was a dead grizz laying down there in the creek. Oh, really? So I told the guy, I said, hey, I want, can I get some of his claws? I want to I wanna, I wanna take his claws and, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I want a souvenir. Right. Same way. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what what brought you back to Georgia? I mean, it sounded like you was having a ball. Well, you know, I was, and uh, but you know, when it was time to go, I knew it was time to go. I had right. three kids, and uh, I just, you know, the the. Uh, the shine just wore off of it. I was right. sick of feeding horses 365 days a year. Right. I was tired of dealing with it. And I, I, to be really honest with you, Cornbread, we would have wagon camps where we would take the kids over to an outpost camp in a wagon and put up the TPs and all that and teach them outdoor skills, and we'd have like six or eight show up. Right. Because, and this is just my opinion, which means it could be right, it could be wrong, but all the cowboy shows are gone. Right. When I was a kid, one of the top five things every kid wanted to be, one of them was a cowboy. Well, right. when they took all the cowboy shows away and everything, nobody wanted to do it. I mean, kids just didn't have a draw to it anymore. They right. weren't exposed to it. Any Western movie they see now is just garbage. I mean, they can't watch it anyway. So the point was that they just, cowboy fell out of the top five things that right. any kid wanted to be. And so we had to start bringing ropes, courses, and go-karts to camp as a horse ranch to get the kids to come. And mm-hmm. the horses just became less and less. Right. And it, it just it just lost it for me. I just I didn't want it to go that direction. I just yeah. wanted it to stay, you know, hey, we're going to come dress up like cowboys and go rope dummies and, you know, take the wagons and go on an outpost camp. And right. nobody wanted to. They wanted to go ride to go-karts or I, rope scores. I never thought about that the cowboy shows went away yeah you, you never got to see any cowboy shows really did you come i've been to a rodeo that's about all <laughs> i think i think maybe there's you know on like at me tv i think Gunsmoke comes on or something like yeah. that yeah, gun smoke yeah. and bonanza and all that bonanza but there ain't no kids watching me tv you know, <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm probably the only kid in Baldwin County that even knows what that is. <laughs> you're, the, you're the only kid, Cooney, that wears overalls at school. Hey, uh, don't can, hate, God, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know? <laughs> can you wear overalls on a horse, Tom? That might be a crazy question, but I, I feel like it might dig in your crotch a little bit, Cooney. Only, only if he's hooked to a wagon. <laughs> <laughs> So you come back to Georgia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that story was this particular time, but you, you wrote a story about taking care of your daddy's beans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was, was that when y'all come back to, to Georgia? Yeah. yeah. It was another. It was just another example of God providing when he called you to do something. You know, when God ever calls you to do something, you think it's so bizarre that how in the world could you ever? And people look at me, even friends go, man, you were just an idiot because I brought a family of three. I had no job. I had no place to live. I didn't even have a house to sell. I lived right. on ranch housing. But I knew it was time to go. I knew it was time to come home. Right. And uh, so, you know, typical scenario, we were going to live with my folks for a couple of months till I could get, because I had come down a week before that, and that was 25 years ago 
Home Depot wasn't there yet. You know, Hiram still had pastures and horses, you know, and cows. And I thought, man, this, this is pretty nice. I, you know, well, I could probably find some work here. So we came and, you know, you're supposed to be two or three months in your parents' house and ends up a year and a half, you know, and I've got three kids and one on the way and, you know, in my mom and dad's house and we're all just living in this little house over there off Ridge Road. And uh, I started training horses and I was just amazed at how many people had horses in their backyards. Right. You know, uh, people just needed help. They didn't know how to get them on a trailer or they couldn't go riding because they couldn't load it on a trailer or... You know, they just didn't know how to get their horse to do this. They just tolerated it because they thought there was no way to train it out of them. And so I had a pretty good, th- I had a pretty good gig going. I mean, I was going around tables at Sterling now, but back in those days, it was Lost Mountain. I worked mm-hmm. there full time, and trained and did and and worked. And um, and you know, I never went without work, and I never without a meal. And uh, I broke a horse, and a guy gave me a Chevy truck. Wow. And wow. uh, drove that truck. You know, he he had this old truck that was nice, really straight truck. It was a nice truck, old two-wheel drive Chevy 1500. And he said, "Look, I got this this horse. It's a you know, it's Mustang." And he says, "I just I just need somebody to break it. If you'll break it, you know, instead of paying you, I'll just give you the truck." Well, I needed transportation, so I got the truck. And then uh, I was training horses, and somebody had a house out on Buckhannon Highway. It backed right up to the national to the uh, WMA. Oh, that'd be sweet. So I'd walk there. out my porch in the morning and go back there and hunt all day and come back in at dark and walk in my back deck. Right. And uh, same way, got got that place for through horses and just you know networking and things like that. So even though God called us and we didn't have any security whatsoever, He provided every single time. Right. And. Uh, been here ever since. Worked every since. Worked ever since, and uh, always had what we needed. Right. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So God works. Oh, man. absolutely, absolutely, he does. Praise the Lord. It's um. So you're back in Georgia. There's a section of the book here that uh you dedicated to your daughter. Yeah. Uh, a good number of poems in here. Are all these poems your favorite? Is there any one that's particularly your favorite? Well, all those poems are what I call situational poetry. Right. All of them are based around situations. And, uh, you know, back when I was on the ranch, cowboy poetry was a big deal. In fact, they still have a big cowboy poetry gathering in Elko, Nevada every year. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a a big deal. It used to be. And... uh, so I used to write some cowboy poetry, and then, and then uh, I wrote po- poems for people in different situations. And I had a daughter, 22 years old, that, that died while she was a student at Tacoa. And uh, she had a severe asthma attack, and uh, her lung collapsed, and they couldn't get it to open. Uh, got her to the hospital, and she passed away. And, I, and, and her story is another, again, evidence of Christ. Um, when Savannah passed away, I mean, she was a she was a beautiful, beautiful girl. You would never know how much she suffered when she was a kid. I mean, you know, with a severe skin condition called eczema, and it just ate her up. I mean, you know, as a baby, we would go into her room, and the textured walls had blood all over them because she'd rub her arms on the walls to itch them, you know. And and uh, my wife 
she just couldn't have had a better mother. She didn't even go to two years of school. She had to be home. She had to be, um, you know, taught at home because she just couldn't go to school because of the skin problems and everything and the asthma. But if you ever met her, you would never know. She was the life of the party. Right. Beautiful girl. Everybody at Hiram High School just thought she was she was the best. And she could charm the socks off anybody. She talked herself out of three tickets by charming the cop. I mean, she, she was just something. But anyway, she went to Dakota, and she wanted to, uh, you know, she uh, she just wanted to go and get into um, sports. Uh, uh, I can't even remember what the sports business. And... Um, so she went to Dakota, and uh, I was just proud of her because my mom and dad graduated from Dakota. My wife graduated from Dakota. I went to Dakota, and now my right. kids are going to Dakota. And, uh, but when she passed away, um, there were 1,500 people at her service. And uh, she was only not even a year out of high school. At the point he'd say that, she was only a year out of high school. Her teachers, the principal, all those high school kids that knew her were in that service. She was already a semester at Tacoa, so the president of Tacoa and all her friend, all all of those kids came down. There were fifteen hundred people in her service, and thirty-two people came to Christ. Wow! If it had been another year later, those high school kids would have been separated and gone out and gone. Right. You know? And when I was in the hospital with her, you have to pardon me for a minute. No, it's okay. Um, I was in the room screaming my eyes out. I was screaming my eyes out thinking that God took that beautiful girl because of the sins of the Father. Why would he do that to me? You know, and my, I must be the cause of it or something like that. And I'm just going to tell you right here, again, that voice said to my spirit, it was unmistakable, said, but you gave her to me. This was my child. And I tell you, the lesson that I learned right then and there is that when you dedicate your child to Christ, you know, in church when they're there were babies, you do baby dedication. You dedicate. It's not a photo op. Right. God gave you that child to teach them how to live on this earth, so that He can take them and use the gifts and talents that He has put in them to reach others for Him. There, she was His child, and He used her more than He could ever used her probably since then by taking her home and the beautiful thing for us and it's still hard don't get me wrong it's rough i mean it's hard right. but she doesn't suffer anymore you know she's walking right. with jesus you right. know and uh she um the the fact that he took her at the point of, at the peak of her influence so that that many kids could come to christ um kind of takes a little bit of the edge off right. and when god said to me you know, this was my child. You gave her to me. Just like Hannah gave Samson, you know, to the high priest. Or right. it's, not, it's not Samuel, sorry. You know, Hannah gave him to Eli, the high priest, to, to go into, you know, God's work. And God said, you know, you gave her to me. I took her because I had a plan for her life, and her life has been fulfilled you know, 30 people came to Christ because I took her home. How many of them wouldn't have come to Christ if he didn't take her? Right. So right. the Bible's full of without faith it's impossible to please God, and that's the only thing you can hang on to sometimes, and that's right. the only thing I can hang on to with that because I'll never understand it. Right. I won't get it. 
but I mean that that's what that's what kind of keeps me going when when Christ said that to me or when the Holy Spirit said that to me I just I just knew that there was right. a higher purpose right Tom I appreciate you sharing that I really do and uh, I really do appreciate you sharing that the uh, the book was great absolutely great can you get it on Amazon yeah okay yeah smoke in your eyes y'all check it out there's fishing stories trapping stories dog stories the poems in the back when i was reading the first poem i thought i don't think i've ever read a poem before <laughs> you know in t intentionally now, so i'm pretty sure like the first maybe in school but i don't even remember it so i know for a fact the first poem i read as an adult at least is in this book Y'all check this book out. Can you need to finish the book? Yeah, I'm still I'm on like page seventy or something like that. Yeah, but I'm getting there. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm battling whether or not to be hurt or, you know, that it's not entertaining <laughs> enough for you to finish it or. Well, he won't well, even, actually. He won't even get up in the morning and go trapping, Tom. You know what? I'm, is that really even who you want reading your book? And, and, and just so you know, I've gotten that far in like a day and a half. Yeah. So I'm just cutting up. <laughs> Look, those that can't do it read about people that did do it. So, I, I mean, I get it. There. <laughs> there you go. That's two he's done got on you, Coney. One more, one more time, we're going to send you to take care of the dogs again. I love you, man. <laughs> Truth in nature. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I had the blessing the opportunity to start volunteering for Truth in Nature, it, it resonated with me watching you and this is not to take away from any of the other mentors at all but i noticed when when you talk to those boys they jump i noticed that did, do you notice that no i just know that when my dad talked to me i jumped <laughs> I must have now, now don't get me wrong you ain't you ain't being hateful to no, them no, no, no. but you have a a man's man persona about you and I think those boys resonate with that. I'm just keep noticed it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Me and Shorty talk about it all the time. When, when cowboy, well, oh, here comes Cowboy Tom. <laughs> they about to straighten up now. I hate. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I, I don't no, want to be the tough guy. No I, no, I don't. I don't think they even see you that way. There's there's something about you when when you talk that that they it's, I think it's respect. I honestly, I, I well, think that's what it is, and it it me and Shorty talk about it numerous times. You know, that's the joke. Here comes Cowboy Tom. They're about to straighten up now. Well, Seriously. I think everybody wants to be entertained because life to me is a story, man. There's right. a story for everything. Yeah, I just noticed that you got kids from from how eleven's probably the youngest, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, around there. On up to seventeen. Seventeen, yeah. Years old, and I think all of them pretty much look at you with the same same eyes not that not that you're gonna get them in trouble or something like that they, there's there's some type of respect that you're passing on to them boys pretty quick well i tell you and i appreciate that but i and i'm not trying to deflect it right but i do want to tell you that that uh you know the whole point the whole way i got involved in truth of nature is a whole nother story right um but i just really think that the legitimacy of the heart of Jeff and Carrie 
are so obvious to those boys. Right, right. They're going to do what anybody tells them to do there because right. they know initially. And when God calls somebody to do something, I mean, he sets it up and, right. and, and brings the people that they're supposed to be there. And I think that all the boys that are there, and there, there's been some guys that, you know, have never been in a group setting like that and try to figure out who they are and where they fit, and they're a little right. tough to deal with. But for the most part, you know, I just really think that based on – I mean, the boys know why they're there. They know that it's not about the hunting and fishing. It's about their relationship with Christ. Right. And I think Jeff and Kerry do such a great job, and their heart's there, that they bring the boys, and the boys that they're there know why they're there. And the right. boys that are there for the wrong reason don't feel comfortable. Right. You know? Because because I've just seen boys come through that program that you would never think in a million years would straighten out. Right. You know, because they're just they're just rough. I mean, you're dealing with them all the time. But it just it it just blesses me to death to you know watch them three four years and they just become young men that right. you know. Right. Hey, look, they were just trying to find a place to hang their hat. They didn't know where to hang it amongst everybody. Right. And then once they find what once they find you know, a little bit of purpose and a little bit of love and, and, and guys that want to really make men out of them or get, show them how. Right. It all goes back to the purpose of the ministry. And that's, that's, right. that's the thing that just, to me, it's about that. It's not about, you yeah. know, what we do. And that's why I just want to be a part of it because yeah. I just want to be a part of what they're doing. For, for all y'all that don't know, Truth in Nature is a, a ministry for boys of fatherless or single-parent homes with multiple chapters from Pennsylvania to, what is it, Michigan, Alabama, oh, yeah. South Carolina, Louisiana, Georgia, yeah. that uh, me and Cooney have the chance to bless and volunteer for as well as Tom. That's where we met Tom. Now, you teach our primitive skills. Pioneer living skills. Pi yeah. Pioneer living skills. You also do, well, I guess the trapping's included in on that. Yeah, we've done trapping. I, I, I mean, how how important the main thing is the boys having a relationship with the Lord. Absolutely. But, but, but how how important is those pioneer living skills? Those things that you learned at the horse ranch, the things that you like as a hobby to to pass along to those boys. Well, I think the biggest thing about it is, and it you know, I've told Jeff and Kerry this before. You know. I don't know if these boys are ever going to go out and ever do this. I mean, are they ever going to lash poles together? Are they ever going to learn how to tie, you know, these different knots? Are they going to ever set a trap? But th that's not the point. Right. You know, the point is it gives them something to enjoy outdoors and see that there is life outdoors, man, that's fun, that's exciting, that, that you can actually, actually be productive without an app. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so to be able to do that, and, it, you know, you can't force your passion on somebody else. If they don't want it, I mean, they're not going to have near the passion you have for it. But these boys, they've all been very interested in watching it and doing it. And I just like to see them use their hands to do something. You know, lashing poles or setting a trap, you know, having to be careful so that that trap don't go off in their fingers when they're uh -huh. making their set, you know. or And, and just learning to, to just use your hands and your motor skills you know to do something other than pecking a key right you know and right. and so i think that's one of the biggest one of the great draws about it you know and the joy of catching a fish or the joy of you know that initial excitement that we all still 
go get up and freeze to death in the morning or swat mosquitoes all day to deal with that right. first sight of that first deer coming over the hill and that excitement that just kind of, you know, gets your heartbeat. Right. They've never, a couple of years ago, there were two brothers, never caught a fish. These kids are like 12, 13 years old. Right. I'm thinking, never caught it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. And I was there when that boy caught that first and i'm telling you he drug that little old brim all over that lake for about two hours that brim was so dried up and half fried by the time he got but it didn't matter right if you can be a part of a kid having that kind of excitement and being a part of it that's what truth and nature is all about is just giving that kid that opportunity and really the gifts the skills and the stuff that we teach are bait on a hook right you know it gives them something to do and gives us the opportunity to earn the right to share Christ, right? You know, and I think that's the that's the key. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I love anything we get to do with truth and nature, and seeing them. I like I me personally the favorite parts watching them from twelve years on up to set stay in the program and like you said watching them grow up two or three years be a, a teetotal different person. Well, you know, on the flip side of that, one of the biggest blessings that I've gotten over watching Truth and Nature is watching God. And I'm, look, I'm not trying to, you know, blow sunshine on you because it's your podcast or you said something nice about me. But I'm saying the fishing guides, the hunting guides, you guys that are willing to take your skill that, I mean, that take time out of the time that you spend doing what you do and being such an expert to volunteer and give it to the boys lets me know a lot about a man's heart you know a lot of guys have a lot of skill you know they're not taking anybody to their deer camp because they might kill that big deer they're looking right. at you know right. what I, I don't want anything to do with you right. you know because it ain't about you right and when we go over there when we go over there to that property you know and we fish in that lake you know that lake slap full of <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and then I hear all the stories about cornbread taking them deer hunt or taking them turkey hunting, and they walked all over Paulding County. They never seen a man <laughs> run like that in all his life, you know. And all them guys, all them kids, just—I mean, years later, still talk right. about it. But to watch a man that's gifted in, a, in in something like that, not keep it for himself, but to share it, says a lot about the man, you know. And that—that's what blesses me because we yeah. go on these fishing trips and these fishing guides. That are willing to take time out of their paid job to do what they do and take these kids for nothing that that speaks a lot and you know what god provides them all the time oh absolutely look at the camp yeah absolutely. and god provided that yeah. at the perfect at the absolute perfect time we lose the other camp because somebody didn't have a heart or a vision for what we're doing right and the same week we get three times the property, twice the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. it's just God works. And how can you say that? How can you say that that's not true? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cody's got to. I, you know, it's a blessing for my boys also to be able to. I I never had the opportunity to to uh, be able to volunteer at that younger age, or probably wasn't even crossing my mind to be honest. Oh, with sure. You. Sure, and uh, I can I can tell what it does for the Cooney, my boys, my nephew that uh to, that get to do it as well. What do you think about it, Cooney? I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it all. Yeah, I mean a lot of lot of like a lot of the boys that are out there are the same age as me. Yeah, you go to school with some of them. Yeah, I, I did. Half. Any of them? Some yeah. of them. Yeah, I think like two or three. Right. One of them was on the wrestling team with me. Yeah, 
And yeah. he was new to the wrestling team, and I wasn't. And that's how he got introduced was me telling him about wrestling. Yeah. At a Truth and Nature event. Right. And then he come in there the next day, and I was like, whoa, cuh. Yeah. He's joking right here. He's trying to challenge me <laughs> on the mat, son. <laughs> yeah. I got to – I mean, it, like you were saying, it's, it's a blessing. I got to watch my boys take their first deer, their mm-hmm. first turkey, and uh, – fish and you know god has blessed me with just the opportunity again and again and again and again and man it, it's amazing and to see a kid that that doesn't know anything really at all about the outdoors to see their face sitting there in the dark as the woods start to brighten up yeah, the lights boy. start to come up and you know you hear a leaf behind you crunch oh, what is that a deer now, cause that's a chipmunk. Look, you know what I mean. It, it just reminds me of when I was young hunting, or when Buck and Cooney was young hunting. And man, it just it gets all over me, all over me. Yeah. And from the from the time they see it, the calming them down, trying to get that adrenaline under control, up to the animal. It, I mean, every bit of it, step by step, is just one big blessing. And see, Kenny, that's the other thing, too. I mean, you know, the fact that you're, you know, still in high school and you're willing to go out there and teach them what you know without having any, you know, desire to want it yourself. You know, all those kids want to be first. They want to do it first. They want to do it more than anybody else. But it's, a, it's, it's really a demonstration of how good your dad's been to demonstrate what it means to give of yourself to other people an old cowboy told me one time my old boss he said the greatest thing you can do is invest your life in, in the life of somebody else and to watch a kid that's their age willing to share as hot, as much as you do is not only a tribute to the way you're raised but it's also a tribute that you got the heart that's going in the right direction you know because a lot of kids your age they're going i want to do it let me i want to go let me do it you yeah know? you ain't doing it i'm doing it you know yeah like I would have been when I was that age, right. you know. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna battle for my position to be first, you know. Right. But to have that heart, there's nothing more satisfying that 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 will carry you through life than being willing to give of yourself to somebody else, you know, and give that skill and that opportunity. Because just think of all these kids that man, they ain't never even been off the porch, right? You know yeah. what I mean? And then what you get to experience and the life that you get to experience, they have no clue. You know, and for you to be able to share that and, and make a – and I always think about it, you know, how many of them kids are going to sit around 30 years from now and go, you remember that old guy that took us up there? You know, what was his name? Yeah. Man, what a what a blessing that is. Right. You know, to just know that you just made a difference in some kid's life, you know. Absolutely. And so I think it's neat. From both ends of the perspective, you got a guy that's a professional that takes him on a prof- – you know, takes his profession that he does and take volunteers it. And to a kid that's their same age, it's willing and experienced it is. Well, Cooney needs to up his game, though. Let 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 me get on it for a little bit. <laughs> talking about gui- talking about guiding different places, he has never found his own hunting spot. Never. Everywhere Lies. he goes, <laughs> everywhere, <Lies. laughs> everywhere he Lies. goes hunting is somewhere that I either took him when he was ten. 11 years old or he heard me talk about I'm it. sorry Kenny I didn't know daddy still walked you to the stand and set you down well, well let, let's be real 
let's let's be real. We're riding the same truck, and we're going to one of the same spots we've always hunted the whole our whole life. So I mean, there ain't really many options for me to find somewhere hey, else to hunt. If that's your excuse, Cody, that's fine. You- but I, I will say, me and Buck did harvest. I, I harvested my first deer away from Daddy. But it was in one of my a couple spots. years ago. It was in one of my technically one of my deer in one of my spots. No. Yeah. No. I used some skills you taught me to find where I needed to be. So if you're going, in other words, if you're going to get into guiding, you're going to have to pick your game up. You're going to have to find your own spots because my spots ain't for lease. They ain't for rent. It's on Amazon. We're going to put a link in the show notes for somebody to be able to check your book out if they want to. Okay, well, believe it or not, there's a lot of books on Amazon that says Smoke in Your Eyes. Make okay. sure it's Smoke in Your Eyes, Tales from a Friendly Campfire. Tales okay. from a Friendly Campfire. And uh, we'll put that link in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate Man, I've you. enjoyed it. I really have. I appreciate you speaking on knowing God's calling. Absolutely. I, I, I really do. That uh, I, I've enjoyed hearing you talk about that. I appreciate it. it's all man it's all it's all how I've experienced it through what God's right. taught me brother I appreciate you sharing about your stories in the book your life your daughter all of it I really do good Cooney do you got anything to add no do you have any questions you said it perfect pretty mm-hmm. much and I ain't got no more questions <laughs> just like I find places to hunt perfectly yeah. okay yeah. okay we'll go with that Tom you got anything you want to add it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Anytime we can sit around and tell some stories about, Ab- about the past, it's fun. When, hey, when's your other book going to come out? Are you working I don't on it? Oh, man. It took me forever just to <laughs> write that little thing. Are you just in the thought process? or? Well, I've just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, my, my, my thought life's cartoons anyway. I mean, I just think in stories. Everything's got a story. Right. And uh, I've just seen God do so many things that I don't think a lot of people realize how alive and how active He is because right. we just don't step out in faith enough. Right. I've seen it in my parents, and I've seen it in my own life that I feel like I need to write it down so that somebody can see that there really is a God. I right. mean, you know, and he is He is active, whether right. you believe it or not. Right. So, you know, I've thought about writing a book. This is smoke in your eyes. I was going to do holy smoke right. about the smoke about the Holy Spirit and all the things I've seen Him do. And I, there's just been some incredible miracles I could share. Right. If we had another two hours, but right. uh, I thought about writing it down. But that was yeah. such a, I mean, that little old book right there was just such a monument for me to try to get in, right. taken care. It's a lot of work. Right. It's a lot of work yeah. just to write that little old thing. Right. For I me, enjoyed anyway. it. It. Uh, sorry it took you so long to get us on the podcast. We talked to Tom. I think it was back in May. Oh, yeah. Yes, we had lined up and doing the the living room or the master bedroom. I, you you messaged me this morning and asked was we still on. And I said yeah. Five minutes later, my wife called and said the air conditioner went out. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, am I about to have to put Tom off again? And uh, she called me about three o'clock, said it was fixed. What was so funny is I gave you that book so long ago, and you said you was going to read it and have me on a podcast, and then it went on for like two months. I thought, well, he must have read the book, didn't want to do the podcast. (laughs) Cooney actually started the book before me, and uh, 
then he got it ended a, up in my off to the side pile. It ended. He got another <laughs> book and started reading it. So I read it, and so I started reading that one, like the the week you brought it to us, and then I got an I, I ordered another book, started reading it, and then somebody sent me another book, and I started reading it. So it was actually two books ago was when I started reading that one. So well, I, I read it. I read it and. Uh, when I talked to you, I was actually te- I was texting two Toms at one time, and I had Tom all confused about <laughs> what I was talking, to, and then I got confused. But anyhow, I told Cooney, I said, "Okay, Tom, th- I told you what three days ago." You told you told me I think it was Monday or uh, yeah, yeah said, Sunday or Monday. I said Tom's going to be on the podcast. You need to get that book read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told me. He said he said. Thursday, six thirty. Tom's gonna be on the podcast. I was like, Dang. funny because I was texting your dad because I hadn't heard from him. I figured, well, he read the book and just didn't want to have me on, I guess, or something. And then uh, he said, uh, or I texted him. I said, I said, he said, hey, can you get together Thursday for the podcast? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, we'll be over at six <laughs> thirty. And I went, oh crap, they're gonna do it over here. Man, I gotta get the grass cut. <laughs> Hey, as we, you we t- didn't. And he was texting somebody else. And not, not I, we didn't get the grass cut. Or Cody didn't, rather. You know what I mean? But once again, Tom, appreciate it, brother. I really do. Man, we, I loved yeah. it. We enjoyed it. Anytime, man. Anytime. I look forward to finishing the book. There you go. <laughs> well, there's no excuse because I wrote it, so there ain't any words in there longer than five or six letters. <laughs> it's easy reading. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's straight. It's straight to the point. The way you, you, I, I really enjoyed it. I like. I like it because when I when I read a book and I look at a chapter of the book and it's like eight or nine pages long. Because when I read a book, I like to read a whole chapter and then put the book up. I can't read right. halfway through a chapter and then lay it down and pick back up. Then I got to restart, figure out where I was at. Yeah, I like that because it's. I think the longest one in there is like four pages long, chapter-wise. Yeah, each chapter is an individual story, so it's not like you got to remember everything on the first half to get through the second half. They're all individual, different stories. That's why I like it, because I can just just read a a chapter and set it down. I think you just gave a testament of why you should have already had it read. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's wearing you out about that thing. I don't don't like this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. We'll holler at you. Say deuces. See you.